So, so here we go. What, what, do I, what command should I come up with today, coming out of this re- week's readings? Well, there is one, and it's actually mentioned twice. It's be alert. Okay, so we've had be holy, we've had be prepared, and now it's be alert. And what, what does that really mean? Well, it comes out of this verse in 1 Peter 4, 7. It says, The end of all things is near. Therefore... Be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Now, before I get into the part about the command of be alert, we've got to deal with something here, because this, this is an issue, right? It says, the end of all things is near. We're now how many thousand years later? Yeah. Has the end come? You know, this is a confusing verse at first, but we need to understand it, because is Peter misinformed? Did he lie? Well, what is he referring to? We, we kind of need to understand this a little bit. And just so you know, this was a major problem for the end of the first century and the beginning of the second century for Christians. Because many of them did believe Jesus was going to return soon. And as the longer the time period extended that he didn't, that made a lot of people question their faith a little bit. And so that was a very real issue. But if we just go back to Jesus' words, and Peter was with Jesus, so he, he understood what he was saying, but because we're now reading it thousands of years later, and we're reading it in English, not the original Greek, which probably would help us if we could read Koine Greek, but we got to understand it. But we know that that point, though, whatever it is, is why he then gets to be alert. So let's go backwards a little bit. Where did, where did Peter get this idea that the end was near? Well, go to Luke 21, verse 36. And you're going to find very similar phrasing. Be always on the watch. Does that sound like be alert? Yeah. And pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. And that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. So Peter, obviously, he had been with Jesus. He heard these words. But notice there's two time frames given just in that verse alone. The first part, that something will happen. Something's going to come. That's a definitive period of time. That there is some point of amount of time and something's going to happen. But the next part about that we're standing before the Son of Man, that's not definitive. That's indefinite. It doesn't really say when or where. It could be tomorrow. It could be thousand years away. And so Jesus didn't lock the end into one time frame. But something was coming. I wonder what it was. Peter understood because he had been with Jesus. See, earlier in this text, Jesus is stating that Jerusalem will be demolished in verse 6. Now he states in verse 9 of Luke 21, When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. So now he's saying, some things are going to happen first, and he already said that something is coming near, but the end, like the end, that's not immediately after. It's it's indefinite. We don't know when it is. It could be the day after, it could be two weeks from now, it could be a thousand years later. So again, we see a little bit of this mystery And that's why we need faith, right? So it's interesting. What what does he mean then about the end? What must happen first? The time of the end is undefined, but what 
is defined as something's about to happen. So go to verse 20 of Luke 21. And again, go back and read the entire context. There's a lot more details, but for sake of time, I'm just trying to answer this quickly. So it's Luke 21, 20. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that the desolation is near. Now, when Peter wrote 1 Peter, Jerusalem had not been destroyed yet. Okay? And then we know... Basically, probably around A.D. 65, Peter died. But the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D. So, if he was saying this somewhere probably in the 50s, 60s, if Jerusalem was destroyed in the 70s, was that disaster sudden? Like, was it near? Something happened, right? And he says, when they surround Jerusalem, you're going to know that time, that uh, what's about to happen is, is happening. But notice that he said earlier, the very end isn't immediately after. But something did happen and something did end that was near. It says here in Luke 21, verse 24, Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Basically, what ended is the Jewish temple religion. To this day, there is not the original temple-oriented Jewish faith. It ended. And he's predominantly speaking to Christians, both Gentiles and Jews, who, who come from the, the convictions of the Old Testament, and all that that was leading to with Jesus. He's saying that that's ended. The coven, Old Covenant has ended. The desolation has come. But the end... Is not definitive. But something pretty amazing did end, and that's why he was saying it was near. And he says, a time of Gentiles until it's fulfilled. Well, what is that? That's indefinite. It doesn't really give you a time frame. But when you think about since the Roman took out the Old Covenant, basically, the temple worship, who predominantly has been ruling the world? The world. Not faith. The world is. I don't know when that time's going to come to an end, but it will. It could be now. It could be next week. It could be hundreds of years from now. We don't know. But at some point, that time will be fulfilled, but it's not definite. And so I think when he's saying that the end is near, all things has come to an end is near, I think he's helping us understand as Christians, that's how we need to live. We need to live as though it's near. We're aliens and strangers on this world. We don't know the time and place, so we have to live as though it is near. Therefore, be alert. Be of sound mind so that you can pray. Which means the opposite. If you're not alert and you're not a sound mind, you can't pray. And isn't that true? When you got a lot of stuff going on in your head, how's your prayer life? It's hard, right? It's like, you go, okay, Lord God, oh, i got to pay that bill. Oh, Lord God, oh man, I didn't call my mom. Oh, Lord God, I mean, like, it's so hard to pray when you're not in your sound mind, right? And when we don't have self-control, predominantly in righteousness, it's also hard to pray. Like When you, when you sin and you know it was sin, it, it, it's just so much harder to come to God and pray. Which, actually, by the way, don't listen to that. It's actually when you do need to go to God to pray. Okay? That's why he said, hey, here, here's what you need to do to pray. Father God, you know, Holy Father, you know, praise Him. Hey, my kingdom. Hey, ask for your daily bread. Now, ask for forgiveness. 
He's saying, don't wait to be forgiven before you come to me. Come to me and then we'll get to it. Isn't that interesting? But our human nature is, oh, I'm a sinner. I can't go to God. I can't pray. So this warning of being alert is very, very important because, guys, we live in the time of the Gentiles. And we don't know when that day will be fulfilled. But there are rumors of wars. There's pestilence. There's tragedies. But that's happened every decade and every generation. But we have to live a life as aliens and strangers in the world as though that time is near. Don't think we, we have time because what happens if we think we have time, now we're that much more inclined to be tempted by the pleasures of this world. Right? Oh, I got time. I can experience this and I'll repent later. Really? You want to be the widow that misses the wedding? The, the, the bride that misses the wedding? You didn't get there and the door's shut? I mean, we don't know when it's coming. And Peter understood that, especially as they were suffering. He might have even thought, Jesus might be coming, you better be ready. You need to be alert and of sound mind. Now what's interesting is when you look at these two two phrases, the Greek, it's actually funny. I I don't know what this means about English translation. But the be alert, as you see here, this Greek word, actually is defined as to be of sound mind. Wait a minute, well then what's the other English one that says of sound mind? That Greek word of sober mind actually means to be sober or self-controlled. Like, okay, I'm confused. Well, and that's just what happens, guys. That's what we need to remember. Sometimes English might juggle it, but it hasn't changed the principle of the verse. But it is interesting why the original language is helpful. The actual part of being alert is being of sound mind. The point of being of sober mind is actually be self-controlled. But those two together are really both necessary, aren't they? Because when you're not alert, it just opens the door for stress, does it not? I experienced that this week. I'm back in school now. I've got two more classes I'm taking. And I was you know, paying attention. I'm usually pretty good. I look at the calendar, what, what needs to be done, what day, what's being posted. And I saw from my second class that the assignment was due on Friday. So I'm like, oh, good. So I got time. I'll take care of the other first class. And I just happened to look on Wednesday morning you know, let me just double check, and then I realize, wait a minute, the final post is Friday, but you actually have to post your first assignment on Wednesday, but you've got to read the book, which is like 300 pages. I'm like, ah! How am I going to read this and get the paper done? And I got it in like at 11.58 p.m. Like, I just got it in. Which is great, but I had to apologize to my wife and my kids. I was irritated. I wasn't very friendly. I, I, I was a sinner. And I'm like, I had to apologize. Cause, but if I had been alert, I wouldn't have felt that stress. I would have been a lot more loving to my family. And so that just was just one example. But I think of how many other areas of our life we're not alert and then these kinds of things happen. And then I think of self-control. That's a tougher one. That's easy when everything's going smoothly. I can have self-control. It's in the moment. And for me, I'm just going to be open with you here. This is my... Worst time of self-control, when I'm inconvenienced or I think I'm being inconvenienced. That is, that's when self-control just seems to go out the door for me. And that happened this week as well. My wife you know, hadn't had a chance to really talk to me because I've been busy with the schoolwork and the ministry stuff and you know, going here and there with the kids. And, and so you know, my wife, you know, she's patient, but she needs to talk. She has to get it off her chest, let me know what's on her mind. And, but in the moment, I'm studying, reading this book. My mind's in one place. I'm not a multitasker. And she comes in, blah, 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 blah. at least that's what I felt. 
Okay, she was actually really communicating, thinking about the schedule this week, helped me to think about the ministry and our family. And so she was trying to be like, I just went, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm overwhelmed. And, and I wasn't upset in the sense I wasn't yelling at her, but I wasn't present. And I could tell she just saw it and just like, I'll talk to you later, and left for an appointment. Why didn't I have self-control in that moment? So I apologized to her later, and it's funny how God works. The very assignment I was focusing on was a video of one of our professors about the context of ministry, and the context was home, and it was him, his wife, and his child talking about prioritizing family over graduate school, over ministry. I'm just like, I'm so convicted. Like, that's my homework? Are you kidding me? So I knew it. I'm just waiting, like, for hours later when Leah gets home, like, honey, we need to talk. I'm so sorry. I'm just like... Self-control. So that's my week. I don't know how your week's going, but I blew it. I already blew it. I didn't obey the command. I already lost both. But I'm glad for repentance. I'm glad I can apologize. I'm glad I can go, okay, I need to be alert, and I need to be self-controlled. And the whole purpose of it is for what? So that you can pray. Which, if you're living in a time of the Gentiles where you're going to constantly be bombarded by the sins of this world, how important is it to be able to pray? It's very important. Yeah, I know we've had some amazing opportunity when, when Tom Brown came here and really talked about how important prayer is. I have, to, I have to be honest, I'm challenged by that example. I've done part of it, but there's been some days since then I'm like, man, I still am not, I'm not living up to it yet. And it's because... Not that I don't have a desire to pray or have things to pray about. It's I haven't really gotten a hold of that being alert and being self-controlled. Because if I'm not those things, then it's going to limit me in how I pray. So the first thing is you've got to be alert so that you can pray. But Peter isn't done. There's another reason why we need to be alert. Let's jump to 1 Peter 5, verse 8-9. through 9. We need to be alert so that you may resist the enemy. Because we live in the time of the Gentiles where the enemy is at rule. We've got to be ready. First Peter 5, 8-9, you've heard this verse before. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, we need to define that devour because we just go, oh, they, he's just trying to get a bite and like maybe chew on you a little bit. No, the, the actual Greek in this context means to annihilate. Destroy completely. He's not just trying to nibble on you. He's trying to kill you. That's his intention. That is his purpose. And Satan doesn't take vacations. He doesn't need to sleep. So how alert do we need to be? To his, his plans, his trickery, his lies, his half-truths. The little things that we listen to that help justify things we think, oh yeah, that's okay, really? Whose truth are you listening to? He wants to devour us. Now, we need to hear that personally. He wants to devour me. But He also wants to devour my sister, and my brother, and my children, and my parents, and everyone. So how alert and self-controlled should we be? Like, guys, this is serious. The time is not... I mean, just turn on the news. You can see who's at rule on this earth right now. Are we ready to be alert and self-controlled? So how do we do it? Well, Peter tells us. Resist him. Notice what that implies. See, there's the explicit command, resist. But what's the implied command? 
You're going to have to. It's coming. It's not going to be prevented. You're not going to be spared from it. He is coming after you. He's a roaring lion. He's attacking you. All you can do is not prevent it. You can't stop it. But you can resist it. But let me ask you something. Is it easier to resist alone or with others? With others. A lot easier. And when you think of the lion, the whole analogy, what does a lion actually go after? The stray. The one that gets separated from the pack. You've got to ask yourself, where are you at right now with the pack? Are you, are you in it? Or are you isolated? And it can be isolated for many different reasons. It could be our own decisions. It could also be decisions of others that hurt us and we react. Right? But we, that's why we need to repent. We need to forgive each other. Because any one of us, guys, if we get isolated, we're the target. He's coming after us. And it's a lot harder to resist when you're alone. It is so much easier to resist when we're together. So it says, resist Him, standing firm in the faith. Now, I appreciate that command. It didn't say run in the faith. It didn't say win in the faith. It didn't say go a marathon in the faith. It just said stand. If that's all you get to do is just stand after He attacks, that's victory. And so the whole Ephesians 6, all I ask is that you stand. I'll take care of winning the war. You just stand up. Don't quit. Don't fall down and not get back up. You Stand firm. Again, which is that easier? Alone or together? Because sometimes, let's just be honest, when we get attacked, we get a devouring of part of our soul. It's hard to stand back up. We need someone to help us stand. To give us the firmness we need. And maybe we do need to rebuke. Maybe we do need to hear the, the tough love that i got to change something. But sometimes we just, we just need encouragement. We don't need a beat down. We're already beat down. <laughs> we just need someone to go, hey, I'll stand with you. A lion won't attack as quickly when he sees a bunch of people. How much stronger are we together than alone? It says, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We heard about Jason's sufferings. Is he the only one experiencing those kinds of sufferings? No, it's all over the world. You know, the whole family thing, that, that breaks my heart. Some of us, we have great relationships with our family, even if they're not liking what we're part of, but they're still, they're still cordial with us. I feel for my brother. But then I think, man, we have sisters, particularly like in India who if their parents knew that they were a Christian, they'd be burned alive. And some of them have been. Guys, we're not alone in this battle. The, the whole world is under the time of Gentiles. So we're all suffering in some way. We're all suffering at least the fact that we have to stand firm until that end comes. And it may be today, it may be thousands of years from now, but we've got to live as though it's near. We've got to stand firm in the faith. And we need to appreciate. So we see those three things. Resist. Stand firm, and remember you're not alone in this. Guys, there's nothing you're going through that not someone else at least, at least one other, probably is also going through. Now, we won't all go through the same things because God doesn't let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. Now, I'm with you, Jason. Sometimes I wonder, like, God, I think you think of me higher than you should. <laughs> like, could it just one of those sufferings be? Why three, God? Come on, man. It's like, 
But in that statement, even though it may make a struggle, think of how much God believes in you. If, I mean, if we believe His Word, He will not let you be tested beyond what you can bear. Then somehow He knew even those three things multiplied on you, He believed you could bear it. But you don't have to bear it alone. <laughs> That's the key. But we all suffer, guys. All of us. And so if you feel that temptation, because Satan would love for you to think you're suffering alone. That's how he wins. He gets you isolated. He thinks that you're the only one going through this. You're not. Well, Derek, you don't understand the sin I'm struggling. Trust me, I bet the majority of your sins I've committed. There may be some I don't, but I know someone who has. And I don't judge him for it. Because we're all suffering. We're all trying to escape this world and get to the eternal one. Right? So how are we doing with resisting? How are we doing with standing firm? How are we doing with remembering we're not alone? You know, these charges are not the only given to us to provide comfort as a community of believers, but it's also a reminder that this world is caught up in a struggle between God and Satan. That's why he says this. The end of all things is near, guys. Be alert and of sober mind. Be alert and sober mind. The devil prowls around like a a lion ready to devour. You need to remember that this is a period of time, the time of the Gentiles. We don't know exactly when that day will come, but we've got to act as though it's near. It could happen at any point. Because even if God doesn't return yet, if you let your guard down, you're going to be eaten and devoured by Satan, by the world, by your sin. So the time is near. We've got to fight to the very end. That was the charge. You know, when you really think about the rest of Peter, I mean, if you get into 2 Peter, that's what it's all about. Most of 2 Peter is warning them about, guys, you're in the time of the Gentiles, which means you're in a time of temptation, a time of struggle, time of persecution. And guess what? It's not just going to be from outside, it's going to be from within. You're going to have false teachers rise up in the church. False prophets telling you to go this way rather than my way. Isn't that what we deal with now? So many people claiming to be Christians, telling us how to be saved, and yet they're no different than the rest of the fellow world people around them. And we got to ask ourselves, are we any different? Are we looking like aliens and strangers, or are we looking like we're citizens of this world? These are the questions that 2 Peter really asks us. And he talks about those who do quit, who do get devoured and what happens to them, and how that then can poison the rest of the church, and how we have to deal with it. And that's what all 2 Peter is about. See, the whole theme of 1st 2 Peter really is about, we're here temporarily, guys. We're just here as alien strangers. That's why we have to be holy. We have to, to be prepared and we have to be alert. Let's look at this passage in 2 Peter 3 as we close out. And please go back and read the entire letter and continue reading the book. Don't miss out just because we end the sermon series. It says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. You know, I appreciate verses like that because it recognizes... I can't remember a lot of things. <laughs> right? I mean, especially as I'm 50 now, it's like, yeah, I really can't remember a lot of things. Like, it's getting harder. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. But uh, anyone else over 50 notice that? Okay, I'm not crazy. Okay, good. I was getting a little concerned there. But it's like when you go to a conference and you have like 50 things that you're supposed to check, uh, then you do nothing because you're overwhelmed. So I like it when the verse goes, okay, guys, let, let me break it down. I just sent you two letters. Let me get it down to one thing. Dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. 
that's the one thing? Like, really? That, that's it? Why is that important? Because we don't know when that end is coming. You've got to live as though it's near. That's the one thing. He, he wants us to be holy because we don't know when that day is going to come. We need to be prepared because we don't know when that day will come. We need to be alert because we don't know when that day will come. A day is like a thousand, a thousand is like a day. So live as though this is your last day. The end of all things is near. Be alert and of sober mind. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises, as some understand slowness. So right there we need to accept something. God's time frame and our time frame are completely different. Right? We're thinking, God, you're slow because we've waited a week and He hasn't answered. And God's going, are you kidding me? Like, guys, I've I got a plan three years from now when it's better for you. And, and, you, and you, you can't wait? Come on. You know, like, we got to remember, God's timing is way different than our timing. Instead, He is patient with you. Thank you, Jesus. Not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. This is a, a, I love these kinds of verses because they tell us something about God that if you only take one verse, you wouldn't see. For example, when He says, the road is narrow and few will find it. If that's all you read, then you think, well, man, God, He's limiting. Like, he, he's not going to allow everyone to come in. Like, he doesn't desire everyone to come in. But then you get a passage like this, like He's actually waiting for a purpose. He actually wants everyone to make it. But He's sovereign, so He knows not everyone will choose it, and so the road is narrow and only few will find it. So it doesn't take away God's compassion. He's just telling us the reality. Because of our free will and our choices, living in this time of the Gentiles, we might make it, we might not. But God's desire is we all make it. So therefore, be alert. We need to be alert not just for ourselves and not just for each other in this room, but for all the lost people whether it's our family members, our classmates, our co-workers, complete strangers, we've got to be alert. That day may come. I, I, I do not want to get to heaven and God show me all the faces that He put in my presence that I didn't reach out to. That scares me. That terrifies me. Now the answer isn't to hide away from all the faces. That, that's not the answer. <laughs> okay? That's not, that's not going to be any better. That's, that's getting that talent and you're hiding it in the ground. Okay? we got to put ourselves out there and we got to go for it. And, I, and I'll be honest, I don't always. It's funny how I can be bold. I went on a mission field. I can do it in a different language. But then I come to America and in the wrong, right time, like, I should share my and, and you know, you fight, battle for like 20 minutes. You ever done that? Am I the only one who struggles with that? Yeah. It's funny. It's actually, if it's a group, I can actually go up to them immediately and just go for it. But if it's an individual, I don't know why, like suddenly it gets harder for me. That's just me. Maybe because I know I feel bold with a group, but with an individual, I don't know what they're going to think about me. I don't care what a group thinks about me, but I care what an individual thinks. That's weird, I know, but that's just me. I'm working on it. But then I always think, what if the person who reached out to me did that? I just can't forget that. Julianne Jordan could have just said, no, nah, I'm not going to talk to him. Man, where would I be right now? Now, I hope God would still find a way anyway, because I think God wants everyone to repent. But man, I'm grateful she didn't hold back. Guys, this year, let's not hold back. I'm not saying we all need to go baptize everyone in the whole Metroplex this year. I'm just saying, let's use the opportunities. Let's be alert. Let's look for the opportunities. I really love this week. I got some time with Gordon Ferguson. It's great to have a, a preacher that disciples you on your preaching. 
I got humble this week, man. He had a page of stuff that he's talking about. I'm like, okay, here we go. I was grateful, though. Honestly, I came home so encouraged. Like, no one else really talks to me about those things. Let's go, good job, Derek. And it may have been terrible. Gordon's going to speak the truth, man. He's like, yeah, that was not good. Yeah, yeah, this right here. This was good. Now, he was very positive, too. Don't, don't get down, okay? But, hey, he knows what he's talking about. But what's so cool is as we're talking, we noticed there was this guy next to us. And, you know, when you start talking about spiritual things, people are like... Yeah. You know? And so Gordon just goes, Hey, is that your son on your, on your screen there on the laptop? Yeah, that's my son. It's like, now you probably were hearing our conversation, weren't you? He <laughs> goes, Yeah, I couldn't ignore it, man. And so then we started... And so I was like, That was smooth. <laughs> Gordon, you got it going. And we got a great talk. And, you know, he's part of a church already, but it was just great to, to, to take that chance. And who knows where it will go. So I'm working on it too, guys. But we need to be alert and a sober mind. So instead, be patient. Why? Because he wants everyone to come to repentance. And then verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Which means what? You don't know when it's coming. If you knew it was coming, you'd be prepared for the thief, Right? The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. That's going to be someday. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? That's a great question. If that end could come at any moment, what kind of person ought you to be? That, that, whoo! It's talking about being prepared. That day will come. We don't know when it will come. But what kind of person ought we to be? Then it goes on. You ought to live holy and godly lives. Whoa, there's the be holy. We have to be prepared. Now we have to be holy. As you look forward, being alert, that's what it's saying, to the day of God and speeds its coming. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in heat. These are some tough words right there. But in keeping with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Did you catch that? The heaven that exists right now, will it exist forever? No. It's going to be, it's going to be burned away. See, the reality is we don't, we don't actually go up to heaven. Heaven comes down to us. <laughs> if you actually read the Scriptures. A new heaven and a new earth. It's going to come down. We're going to be lifted up for judgment, probably to that heaven that's temporary. But hopefully, we come back down to the new earth and a new heaven comes down with us. So what Peter is really saying, both in First and Second Peter, guys, is, is we don't know when the end's coming. It could be near. It could be thousands years away. But you've got to act as though it's today. And so when you think about what we've learned so far, it's really remembering those three commands. That until that end comes... We're just aliens and strangers. We're just temporary residents. We're just passing through. So until that time comes, we need to be holy, we need to be prepared, and we need to be alert. Let's do that together. Amen? Let's go to God in prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Lord God, we thank You so much for the words that Peter has given us in First and Second Peter. And though we know it was given to a very particular people in a very particular context, many of its warnings and commands and principles still apply to us today. Truly, the Word of God is living and active. That's so amazing about the Bible is that 
It, it has impact beyond its original intent. It even continues to us today. And though, God, we may be in a different context and maybe different ways that we interpret or perceive this, but God, we pray that we, we take the principles, that we really focus on that one thing that one day is like a thousand, a thousand is like a day, that this could be the last day. And so what kind of people do we need to be? God, I really do pray that together, not just individually, but together, help us to be holy, help us to be prepared, and help us to be alert. Please use us to give the people that are not in the faith yet an opportunity to hear about You, about the salvation that comes through what Jesus did on the cross. Help us this week to not be afraid, to live a life with glory and righteousness, confidence and compassion. Help us to be a light so that, God, when that day comes, there will be no guilt, there will be no shame. We will simply applaud and praise that we get to be invited to live with you for eternity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.